are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Welcome back for those that were traveling maybe last week for July 4th. Glad you're back. It's good to see you. Uh, anybody that's a guest with us this morning, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, yeah, just really, really grateful for you. Um, just to fill you in, if you are new with us or guests with us, on where we have been and where we're going. We've been trucking through a long sermon series called Reset, getting back to the basics of following Jesus for a variety of reasons. We'll continue this sermon series through the end of July. And then starting the first week of August, we're going to spend uh, literally every Sunday until Advent in First Peter. So First Peter's coming, um, and I'm excited about it. I know you guys were there before I came, and so we're going back to First Peter. And we will be there uh, for the foreseeable future. So that's where we've been. That's where we're going. I'm super excited about it. I hope you are as well. Um, pray for me. Pray for any other people that will be preaching during that sermon series as well. And um, just super pumped, super pumped. But today, we are going to take on a much uh, forgotten aspect of the Christian life, one that's not really preached on much or talked about much, yet is a a key distinctive among the people of God, and that is the area of hospitality, being hospitable people. And today's sermon will be actually a little different than most sermons I preach here at Emmanuel Church. Uh, nine out of ten times I preach a sermon, I'm literally going to be taking a text and kind of unpacking it, expositing it, to use the official word, uh, just laying it bare before us so we can learn from it and expose the text, so to speak, and glean from that through the Spirit. Um, but today, I'm going to use 1 Peter 4, particularly verse 9, as kind of a, a launching pad to get us to see a biblical view from Genesis to Revelation of hospitality, of gospel hospitality. So as we're going to be in this, you know, 1 Peter 4 rocket ship, so to speak, uh, looking down 30,000 foot view on what the Bible says holistically about who we are to be as God's people and how we are to exercise hospitality to those around us, and even what that is. I think we have a mistaken view sometimes of what hospitality is according to the scriptures. So we're going to be flipping around in our Bibles a good bit this morning, so if you have one, I encourage you to take it out or grab your phone and get ready to digitally do whatever you do to get to the passage of scripture. Um, and I encourage you, even, even just every week, bring a Bible um, or bring a phone with a Bible on it. I know you're bringing your phone, so download a Bible on it or whatever, because we need to open up God's Word together, right? Not just look at it up here but have it in your hands and look over it together. Um, so at, a, at my previous church that I was at in Atlanta before coming here a few months ago, um, every fall, a portion of the staff and our spouses, we would take a three to four day retreat. We'd go somewhere and take a retreat and the location of that retreat would rotate you know, every few years or so. Um, but my first couple of times of going on this particular retreat, we headed up to uh, Amicalola Falls in North Georgia. I'm not sure if any of you have ever been there, but Amicalola Falls, North Georgia in general in the fall is beautiful. Um, Amicalola Falls is extra beautiful, and it was, the, it was literally like the middle of October. It was peak week, literally peak week for like leaf looking. Um, I don't know if that's a real thing, uh, but it was beautiful. It was crisp. I mean, the, I mean, I love the fall anyway. It was just perfect. I mean, the week was perfect. Sunny outside, leaves changing, scenic on the drive up. Uh, it was awesome. And, and this retreat uh, in the fall in the mountains of North Georgia was like everything I wanted in my life at that moment. It was awesome. So that first year, I forget why, but Christine couldn't come with me that particular year. So I 
because I'm by myself, I planned to go hiking with a few other guys one of the days of that retreat. And we were going to hike up to uh, what's called the Hike Inn. If any of you guys have ever hiked the hike to the Hike Inn. Um, but it's a five-mile up, five-mile down hike from Amicalola Falls um, to this hotel, literally a hotel that is inaccessible except by hiking to it. I mean, I'm sure at helicopter you could get there, but we don't have one of those. Um, so people will hike up to the Hike Inn. It's off the grid. I don't think there's any cell phone service up there. They'll stay a few days and then hike back when they're done and park at the base of Amicola Falls. So we pack our backpacks, me and these two guys, uh, Matt and Joe are their names. Those are their real names. Um, and weather's perfect, sunny, cool in the morning. Um, but it would, it's one of those days where it starts off cool and would heat up you know, as the day goes on, where it's like this 30-degree window, which is really just weird and reason why people stay sick uh, all the time. Um, but we set out, and it's not too challenging of a hike, mostly uphill, but nothing too treacherous or steep. So we start making our way up to the hike in, and it's getting pretty warm about two to three miles in. So we start, you know, shedding our jackets and our, you know, long sleeve shirts, whatever, and it's getting hotter. And we have this realization, like hiking 101, um, and if you know me, I don't, I don't like outside stuff. So this is all like, you know, uh, hiking 101 is, you know, I need somebody to tell me what 101 is to hiking. And 101 is you need water, right? Like you need water. And none of us had any water on our hike. Now we weren't uh, in any way in danger. Like we're not going to like die of thirst or anything, but we'd all forgotten water and we were pretty thirsty by the time we got to the top of the mountain to the hike in. And so we, needed, we knew we needed at least a cup before we headed back down. So we were, had this plan. We're going to go to the hike in. We're going to walk in. We're going to buy some water from them, a bottle of water, a cup of water, whatever the case may be, and we'll drink it, and we'll head back down the mountain. So we get to the top of the mountain, to the hike in, and we see this rustic-looking inn. Maybe you guys stayed at the hike in or seen the hike in, maybe. Man, you need to go. It's got very little amenities. I mean, it is bare bones, all right, but it's, it's like... It's awesome. And you head there, the small little lobby where people would come and check in, and there's nobody there. All right, There's nobody working the desk. There's no vending machines. There's no water fountains. We haven't seen any bodies, literally, at that point at the hike in. So we start looking around, and we spot the cafeteria, like the mess hall, whatever you want to call it, that was for the residents to come and, and eat. And there's one man in there, and he's preparing food. So we walk into this, this rustic cabiny-looking you know, place, and immediately I feel this sense of, of just welcome and respite. To my right, as I'm walking in, if you can just picture it with me, there's this wood-burning fireplace with, like, chairs you can just pull up and sit next to it. To my left is a table, a couple of tables, with a spread of coffee and water and tea and bars and fruit and refreshment. And the man preparing lunch, he comes around from behind, you know, the, the counter or whatever, and he shakes our hands, he welcomes us to the hike in, and we're like, can we buy some water? And he just laughs at us, and he says, uh, hey, anything you have here, you can have. Anything, anything here, it's yours. Just refresh yourself, sit down, sit by the fire. You're welcome here. Stay as long as you need. Find refreshment. I'm glad you're here. He said, I'm glad you're here. And... I had this experience with this guy I didn't even know in this place in the middle of literally nowhere. And the Lord taught me through the hike in, through reflecting on it as I'm walking back down this mountain, refreshed with water in my bag, exactly what biblical hospitality is intended to be like. For gospel hospitality is taking steps to move someone from stranger to neighbor. 
It's taking steps to move somebody from a stranger to a neighbor. It's extending to them the welcome of Christ to someone you may or may not know and demonstrating to them the kindness of God we've experienced from God himself. Gospel hospitality says, I don't care where you've come from on your journey. I don't know where you're going on your journey, but you look tired, friend. Come in, sit by the fire, warm yourself, find respite, find relief, and be cheered in Christ through your time with me. And this picture of radical hospitality is found throughout the pages of Scripture. And so we're going to be turning to a few of those pages here over the next few minutes. This is not an exhaustive journey by any stretch of the imagination. We're not looking at every text in the Bible that talks about biblical hospitality. I'd love to maybe one day, but not right now. And then we're going to draw some principles as God's people as to who we are to be, the kind of hospitality we are to exercise towards others that may or may not know Christ. So grab your Bibles. Let's start Old Testament, Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Probably the most familiar psalm in all the psalms. It's read at probably every funeral you've ever been to by believer and unbeliever alike. All right, Psalm 23, particularly look with me at verses 5 and 6. David writes this. David is the author here. He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the primary place to start And thinking about biblical hospitality is where the Old Testament writers started. And it's picturing, it's it's this idea they had, Israel had, that regarded God as their host. That God was their host. Israel regarded God as their host. You see it here in Psalm 23. It's the Lord who prepares a table for his people as the host of honored guests when danger surrounds them. You know, in ancient the ancient Near Eastern culture, according to the customs of the people, hosts of honored guests, were not only obligated to invite their guests in and provide for them, but they were also obligated to protect their guests at all costs. Therefore, those in the host house, they would feel safe and secure knowing that it's the responsibility of the host to protect them from their enemies while they're in their home. I mean, think about how crazy this whole banquet notion sounds here in Psalm 23. The Lord... As our gracious host, he looks at us, his honored guests, as his people, and he sees our enemies surrounding us on every side. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, right? Enemies surrounding us on every side. We walk into his presence. He sees these realities, and he does not say, hey, pay attention. Enemies all around you. Enemies, you better start fighting. You need to start warding them off and fight them back before I let you into my home. You need to take care of this yourself before I let you into my place of living. And I don't say that at all. Instead, it's the exact opposite. With, in, with enemies all around us, our Lord looks at us and he says, come in, sit at my table. I've prepared a table for you. I've laid out a spread for you. You feast, you eat, you drink. Don't worry about those enemies that are surrounding you. That's my responsibility. Take some oil for your head, some drink for your cup, more than you need, rest and enjoy the banquet. I will take care of those enemies that surround you. God is our host at his table, in his house. He is the starting point of hospitality. And from this Old Testament starting point, God's people host others, for we have been hosted, so to speak. And then secondly, secondly, Old Testament. 
Old Testament hospitality, we see that hospitality was extended particularly to strangers. Particularly to strangers. Hospitality is extended to strangers, to aliens, to sojourners. Take your Bibles, flip to Genesis 18. Genesis 18. Backwards. 18 chapters into the first book of the Bible. Genesis 18. This is one of a plethora of examples we could go to to demonstrate this point here, to show hospitality extended towards strangers. Now, we don't have time to read all this chapter, uh, but Abraham and Sarah, just to give you some context, they're living by the Oaks of Mamre here. It says that in verse 1. And they're three unknown men stop at their tent. And Abraham, unhesitatingly, he almost begs for them to stay with him, to stop, to stay in his tent, to feed them, to serve them, to honor them, to lodge them. So let's pick up in verse 2. I'm going to read through verse 8. It'll be on the screen for you, but you know, if you've got it in front of you, look at that as well. Verse 2. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you've come to your servant. So they said, Do as you've said. Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the, the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he'd prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. Now, as you keep reading in the narrative, which we're not going to, but you're going to see that these three men are from God. That two of the men are angels. One of the men is probably a pre-incarnate version of Christ, experience of Christ here, Christophany, if you want to use that word. But Abraham doesn't know that when he extends hospitality to them at this point in the story. He just desires to honor them and to provide respite for them. And he does that. He honors them. He feeds them. He houses them. He doesn't rush them to finish their food and leave. He doesn't have kids to put down, right? Not yet. He will. He communes with them. He communes with them. It's this beautiful picture of just radical hospitality to strangers, to those he didn't know. We'll come back to that here in a second. And then third, as the Old Testament progresses, we read that the ultimate reason Israel would continue to demonstrate hospitality throughout their history was because of the exodus from Egypt. At the heart of hospitality was remembering the exodus. Two texts in particular bring this realization to light. You don't have to turn there. They're quick. I'm going to read them pretty quick. But the first one's Exodus 22:21. Exodus 22:21. Right in the middle of God giving Moses the law, he tells Moses about, talks to him about caring for immigrants in their midst, caring for the stranger, the sojourner, the exile. And he says this. God says this to Moses. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. Remember the Exodus. All right? Remember the Exodus. This is who you were. Therefore, treat others as you once were. And then second text, Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. Same chapter, actually, that Israel's commanded to love their neighbor as themselves. All right? And God says this, 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Remember, Israel... That when you were strangers and sojourners and aliens in the land of Egypt, that I welcomed you into my fold. Now, therefore, go and extend that same welcome 
to others. In the Old Testament, we see the people of God welcoming strangers and seeking to make them neighbors. For God welcomed them, hosted them when they were strangers and made them neighbors. Well, what about the New Testament? Let's keep going. New Testament, does it carry on? Yeah, it does. It carries on the New Testament. Foundation remains the same. God in Christ Jesus has brought us not just into his fold as neighbors, but as sons and daughters of God. He has welcomed us into his family around his table as sons and daughters. We are family now, seated with, at the table with God our Father, with Christ our brother, enjoying communion brought about by the Holy Spirit. It's the Trinitarian work of hospitality happening here. So with that foundation, what were some characteristics of hospitality in the New Testament? Well, one, first, Hospitality was necessary for gospel advancement. Hospitality was necessary for gospel advancement. What I mean by that is the early church apostles and missionaries, they're not making big bucks, right? There's not a lot of hotels or Airbnbs they can afford to stay in on their journeys through the land of Asia, through Asia and Asia Minor and all those areas they're going. So they depended almost entirely on the hospitality of other believers in those towns they would travel to. I mean, you have Acts 18, Paul staying with Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. 1 Peter 4, we just read, it's commanding the church to be hospitable for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom here. So that's the first one. The early church, the missionaries were dependent upon the early church to extend hospitality. Second, eating and drinking were key components in building relationships. Eating and drinking were key components in building relationships. We talked about this a lot. We've talked about this a lot. But great food, great drink, tables, meals, they're keys to intimate relationships, intimacy. I mean, how many times is Jesus accused in the Gospels of being a glutton and a drunkard? All right? It's not because he was a glutton and a drunkard. It's because he ate and drank with a lot of people in homes, around tables. But it goes to show you how central food and drink and tables are in communicating this sense of belonging and welcome to other people. This remains the same true today. Again, we'll come back to that in a second. Third characteristic, third characteristic. Boundaries around tribe and ethnicity were broken down. In gospel hospitality, boundaries around tribe and ethnicity in the New Testament and today were broken down. This is the most radical difference between worldly hospitality and biblical hospitality. We are not exercising true gospel hospitality if every time we gather around tables with other people, those other people look exactly like us and believe exactly like us and think exactly like us and raise their kids exactly like us. We are neglecting true welcome of strangers of sojourners, of aliens, when we look around our table and people are exactly like us. Now, there's a key difference in the scriptures between fellowship and hospitality, okay? Similar, but key difference. Fellowship is rooted in an already established community, all right? It's with people you're already familiar with and with one another when they, you come together to mutually build, build each other up. Hospitality, on the other hand, is focused on the outsider. It's focused on those that are new. Fellowship without hospitality produces cliques, on one hand. Hospitality without fellowship 
produces a lack of interest in the biblical community. On the other hand, they need to go hand in hand. They're together. Fellowship and hospitality. The familiar and the unfamiliar. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Luke 10, 25 to 37. Uh, uh, for the sake of time, we're not going to read all this text, but very familiar parable to many of us. The parable of the Good Samaritan. All right, the Good Samaritan. But the parable is preceded by a question from a lawyer in verse 29. He asks, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? It's a good question. I mean, he's seeking to justify himself, but he asks a good question regardless of his intent. So Jesus tells this parable, and he tells this parable of a man who's beaten up. Two Jewish leaders, they pass this man by, not stopping to help him for a variety of reasons we could get into. We don't have time, but we can eventually. But then the most unlikely person in the telling of the story stops. And it's a Samaritan. Samaritan. Now it's hard to do justice to, and then just a brief explanation, to the resentment between Jews and Samaritans in that day. Samaritans were considered half-breeds, impure, a variety of things. I mean, I mentioned it last week or a couple weeks ago where James and John are calling down, asking Jesus to call down fire from heaven to consume a city full of Samaritans, you know, in Israel. Not a lot of love between Jews and Samaritans, all right? So it, it's hard to underestimate, or actually it's hard to overestimate, the rage that probably would have been present as Jesus is telling this parable and he gets to that punchline that it's a Samaritan who stops to help this man who'd been beaten up. But look at how Jesus describes the behavior of the Samaritan when he sees this man in need. We're going to start in verse 33, verse 33, and see just hospitality and welcome and neighborly, neighborly affection towards this stranger. So, but a Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, saw this man, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay, when, I'll repay you when I come back. Now, all of these actions from this Samaritan would have cost him much. It's time. He now has to take a detour to an inn to drop this guy off to bandage his wounds, take time to get him ready to ride on a donkey. It would have taken his energy. This guy's walking now. He was riding before. He's walking now because this beaten up man is now on his donkey. Financially, it would have cost him a lot. Oil, wine, an indefinite stay at a hotel. And there's no end in sight. I mean, if this guy's truly near dead, it's going to take him a while to recover, right? He's going to be at that hotel for a while. Potentially medical bills he may pay for this man. But it cost him a lot. All for a stranger. Somebody he didn't even know. Just happened to come across him. A guy in need. Stopped to help him. A radical help. Radical hospitality. But this is the type of hospitality that's taught in the New Testament. That's the third reason. Then fourth. Fourth. The New Testament demonstrates that hospitality was a foretaste of the coming kingdom. The hospitality is a foretaste of the coming kingdom of Christ. This is honestly both a New Testament and an Old Testament teaching, but it literally takes more shape in the New Testament, especially in the teachings of Jesus. Think about the parable of the wedding feast in Matthew 22, where Jesus compares the kingdom of Christ to a gathering of saints from all nations around tables with the apex of God himself as our host at this feast. 
Luke 11, Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer, the two petitions, your kingdom come and daily bread are the same petition. All right? I think about the Last Supper of Jesus with his disciples where he takes the cup of wine and he says, this I drink with you. I'm not going to drink this cup again until I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Hospitality, the coming of the kingdom. These, these are an appetizer. Hospitality is an appetizer of the coming kingdom of Christ. It's a foretaste of what is coming. The hospitality we will feel as the people of God being fully and finally welcomed into the kingdom of Christ. So, in our final few, min- few minutes here, let's reduce this biblical theological hospitality, which was like, that was just brief, all right? We could spend way more time in this, but we're not going to. Let's reduce it down to what does that mean for us as a church corporately? How do we as a church exercise hospitality? And then for you individually and as families, what does gospel hospitality look like for us, for us individually and as families in our communities? So first, let's start corporately. What does it look like for the body of Christ to exercise hospitality and welcome others? First, we extend a welcome to guests. It's not rocket science, all right? We extend a welcome to guests. And this may seem overly simplistic, but I can't tell you how many times I've heard stories, not necessarily in this church, but stories of people coming in their first time and not being welcomed, not being greeted, not being sought out, feeling completely invisible. Now, that's easier to do in a larger church. I mean, I can look out right now and know who's new and who's not new. Uh, But it's also easy here. It can happen here. You know, sometimes we forget what it's like to be new at a church because we've been here for so long. Even I've been here four months. I forgot what it's like to be new. Some of us have been here in this body for years. You know, our natural inclination as human beings is to gravitate towards that which is familiar to the people who we enjoy being around, that are, we know, that we, we see often. But I think about those who are new, you know, if it's their first time or even their second time, and at church our size, it's, it's hard to slip in and not be noticed, right? We're not that big, but it takes courage to visit a smaller church. It takes courage, because you know you're not going to be just anonymous. You will be noticed. So let's not ignore the new Let's not shut out guests. Let's keep our head on a swivel corporately on Sundays, but also throughout the week. How can we include those that are new in our rhythms of our lives as a body? That's why I think our Connect team is so important. I love Johnny and Aaron Nickel for heading that up. I mean, it's so important. They, They get here early. They brew coffee. They ready communion. They stand at the doors and welcome you as you come in. They connect with you. I saw Johnny in the lobby talking to somebody that was new a second ago. I mean, that's awesome. You know, if the hike in, this, this rustic-looking lodge in the middle of nowhere, if the hike in can teach us something about biblical hospitality, how much more should the church of God be hospitable towards those who are strangers among us? How much more? How much more? And yet we forget. We forget. So we need to be reminded. Look, welcome those that are new. All the new people here are like, oh my gosh, we're about to get bombarded. Um, that's all right. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, come back next week. You won't be as bombarded. Um, second, second, as a church, hospitality serves as a qualification for leaders. It serves as a qualification for leaders. When you look at the qualifications for elders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, one of the components for a qualified leader to shepherd the body of Christ is hospitality. 
When you think about, when we think about as a body raising up elders in our midst, raising up new elders, or even looking at existing elders in our midst, we cannot overlook how they treat strangers in their midst. Do they have people in their homes as guests? Do they open up their table to those that are in their neighborhoods, in their lives? Does that potential elder make others feel welcome and cared for and loved? Hospitality is a qualification for the leaders in our body. If somebody is not hospitable and we want to put them forward as an elder, they are not qualified to lead our body. It sounds intense, but that's what it says in the text. That's the text. Hospitable. Not perfectly hospitable, all right? Which I'll get to that in a second. Not perfectly hospitable, but hospitable nonetheless. All right, hospitable. Third, we gather around the table in communion. The third way we as a body exercise hospitality is we come to this table. Practice this every single Sunday. Not only do we welcome people into this physical space, but we also exercise hospitality and we welcome, welcome believers, regardless of what denomination you're a part of, believers, to the Lord's table every week. Again, the Connect team, all right? I keep coming back to the Connect team. They're just great. I love them. It's more than just Johnny and Aaron. It's a variety of people. But I think they're so important. When they prepare communion, they're not only welcoming people on the front end, but they're sending them out and welcoming them on the back end by inviting them to the table. You don't see Johnny and Aaron and others prepare this every single week, but it's an invitation of hospitality they're preparing for us in response to the gospel every week, in response to our hospitable God who has welcomed us to his table. So they are welcoming you to the table with us. So that's the third thing. Fourth, we gather around tables and fellowship. I won't belabor this one. We've talked about it a lot before, but we're going to eat more here uh, as a body. Um, it's going to be chaos. I get that. We'll try to limit the chaos, but we're going to eat. All right, we're going to eat a lot. So every fifth Sunday, we got a fifth Sunday coming up, July 31st. I'll just go ahead and make a plug for it now. Um, we are going to have potluck style eating together. All right. We'll probably do it in like the fellowship hall of Crestway. I haven't talked to him yet, so don't mention that if you see Jimmy. I'm going to talk to him later um, if it's open. But be thinking about what to bring, what to prepare. We want to eat together, gather around tables, fellowship together among, one, among us. I mean, I, I, uh, and don't sit with your GC. All right. I challenge you. Next, this fellowship meal coming up on the 31st, don't sit with your GC. Sit with somebody else. Now, it may be inevitable in some situations, but sit with somebody you don't know. They're not a stranger among us. They may be a stranger to you. Sit with somebody you don't know. Get to know them. Be hospitable towards them. Eat together. Drink together. Enjoy one another's company. But we're going to be eating a lot more around here, but I'm not going to spend more time on that because I've talked about it before. So that's how we extend hospitality corporately. Let's think about how we extend hospitality familially. That's not a word, but with our families and individually. All right. First, we don't grumble at being inconvenienced. We don't grumble about being inconvenienced. That's verse 9 here in 1 Peter, kind of where we started. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Key phrase, without grumbling. Easier said than done, right? Especially when guests show up unannounced. <laughs> Knock on your door, whoever that guest may be. Listen, I'm an introvert, all right? I'm an introvert. I'm not a socially awkward introvert, but I'm an introvert nonetheless. Um, I can handle my own in social situations, but when I'm around people a lot, I just get physically drained. I mean, Sunday afternoons, I'm ready to go home and just sit in a dark room by myself 
all right, for a long time, at least until my kids wake up. I just don't, I just need energy. I get energy when I'm by myself, all right? That's just how I'm wired. It's how God has wired me. So thinking about social settings after work or on a Sunday, they do not come naturally to me, all right? They don't come naturally to me. Entertaining others when I'm drained does not come naturally. And so I find myself thinking, oh my gosh, like, man, I'm so grateful for those people, but I just can't, I can't do it. I, can't, I just don't want to do it tonight. I don't want to do it tonight. I'm exhausted. But I'm called to demonstrate gospel hospitality without grumbling, all right? And so I find this, that every time I do it, every time I spend time with people, it's like waking up in the morning for some of us where we can't, we have a hard time getting out of bed, but once we do get out of bed and get moving, like, we're glad we did, right? We're good to go. We just needed that first, like, umph to get out of bed. It's like it is with hospitality. Sometimes, you know, I'm dreading them coming to the door and knocking on it because I'm exhausted. But once it gets rolling, man, on the back end, I find that God has given me the strength I need through the Spirit, and He's given me the joy of doing it, right? I'm so excited that people were in our home. I'm so excited that I got dinner, you know, with a couple... Tuesday night, we sat, you know, we sat at Goose over here. It was all right. Um, but, I, you know, it was great. We sat. I loved it. We were there for two hours just hanging out, talking. It was awesome. You know, God will provide what we need individually, as families, the strength we need to provide hospitality. And we're called to do it without grumbling, all right? Without grumbling. Preaching that to me as I'm preaching it to you. All right, number two. We make it a practice to have people in our homes. Make it a practice to have people in our homes. You know, part of success in having strangers in your home is twofold. One, it's probably good that you know your neighbors' names. All right? Sounds simple. Sounds easy. But let me just take a straw poll here. I'm not doing this to guilt or shame. You just be honest with me. How many of you can name the first names, first names of your neighbors on each side of you in your neighborhood? Raise your hand high. Raise your mind. Man, this is a lot more. First and last names. First and last names, so those people that have your hands up. First and last. All right. How many of you have had those people over to your house for a meal or some kind of gathering? Man, over here, killing it. Dave Smith, awesome, you too. Listen, I'm not, listen, I can't raise my hand. I can't raise my hand. One, because I'm in an Airbnb and they won't be my neighbor soon. But I can't raise my hand, all right? But listen, like, we need to know our neighbor's names, all right? We just need to know our neighbor's names. I don't care how long you've lived there. If you've lived there for 20 years, here's what it looks like. You get a bunch of cookies, you bake a bunch of cookies, you put them on a plate, you walk across the street, knock on the door and say, I've been a bad neighbor, and I'm sorry. This is my name. Tell me your name. Awesome. Great. Here's some cookies. They're break and bake, but they're good. Um, or you can get some from Logan Gibbons. She needs some business. Um, take some cookies and meet your neighbors, all right? And then remember their names. <laughs> that's, that's a key, too. Remember their names. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. Sometimes it takes humility and an apology. But we need to know our neighbors' names. And then second, if you want success in hospitality, look for natural rhythms and movements in your community that serve as natural outlets of hospitality. Start a college football. You may not even like football, all right? But college football around here, from what I gather, being in Birmingham, Alabama, is a big deal, all right? Have people over. Cook some food. Grill out. Uh, World Cup is coming up in November. I guarantee you there are neighbors that love soccer. You may love soccer. I think about uh, the hall, Cinco de Mayo, right? And, and Oktoberfest. You know, you guys have people over to your house all the time. Those are natural rhythms that people enjoy to come into your home. 
The World Games are going on right now. I mean, that's a great opportunity to have people over to watch the World Games with you. Um, in our community, go with them to the World Games. You can even do that. Whatever you want to do. Have people into your homes. Uh, what are those natural rhythms that communicate hospitality on a given week, weekly, monthly, biannual, whatever basis, and have people into your homes? Um, you don't have to have like a 10-minute gospel presentation. <laughs> you know, after you invite them over, just don't be weirdos, all right? Just invite them over, hang out, all right? It's not hard, and just get to know your neighbors and be hospitable. Have food, have beverages, have, just have them over, all right? Just have them over. Um, Gospel hospitality is really not difficult. And then lastly, lastly, we proclaim the gospel through our kindness. As a family, as individual families, individually you, we proclaim the gospel through our kindness. Uh, maybe you know the name uh, Rosaria Butterfield. Maybe you don't. Um, maybe you know her story. Maybe you don't. She's written a couple of books I highly recommend on gospel hospitality. Um, it's an amazing story because gospel hospitality was a key component in her coming to faith in Christ. I don't have time to share her whole story. You can read about it in her books, but I'll give you kind of, kind of the highlights of it. She was a tenured professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. She cared about justice for the weak. She had compassion for the helpless. She stood with those who could not speak for themselves, but she was also, at the same time, a radical feminist in an openly lesbian uh, relationship with a lady she'd been with for a long, long time with no desire to convert to Christianity at all. In her book, uh, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, she says that she began doing some research for a project uh, she was working on on the rise of the religious right in America, which I'm sure is very interesting. And their, quote, hermeneutic of hatred that they use against their favorite target, queers, or at the time, people like me, end quote. But amidst all the hate mail from Christians that she received, during this time, uh, she received a letter sent from a pastor that just happened to be her neighbor. And this letter changed her life, changed her life. It was not filled with hate, was not filled with uh, any kind of tearing down rhetoric, but it was just an invitation to get to know her. And instead of viewing Butterfield as the enemy, this pastor, over the course of the next two years, began to have her over for dinner prayed with her, answered her questions, loved her. And Rosaria Butterfield put her faith in Christ for salvation. Now, she'll tell you in her book that it wasn't easy. She says it was, quote, a train wreck, uh, her conversion was. I mean, think about all that she has to leave behind to follow Jesus in that state of her life. But for her, the gospel was greater. And that pastor was with her in it every step of the way, all through the train wreck. He was on the train with her. And she says this, and I think this is a powerful, powerful quote. She says, strong relationships precede strong conversations. Strong relationships precede strong conversations. Do we have relationships like that church that can yield respectful, loving, and kind conversations with people not like us? Strong conversations around the gospel oftentimes fail when it comes before strong relationships. And this is the love of Christ. It's the love of Christ bringing us into an intimate relationship with his Father that then yields throughout our lives strong, loving, kind conversations with our Lord as he guides us 
on this road of following Jesus. May we seek, Emmanuel Church, may we seek to make strangers neighbors. For God in Christ has made us, moved us from strangers, not to neighbors, but to family. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for providing the means we need to exercise hospitality. You have provided us homes. You've provided us resources. You've provided us neighbors. You've provided us the Holy Spirit. You have provided us all that we need to demonstrate hospitality towards those around us. May we remember, oh God, may we remember that if you had not been hospitable towards us, if you had not carried us to your table when we were dead in our sin, adopted us and made us sons and daughters of the King to sit at his table, at your table, if you had not started there, none of us would have any hope in this world. But you were kind towards us, not when we were strangers, but when we were enemies. We wanted nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with the cause of Christ. And yet you took us and you kindly and gently prepared a table for us. And you sent your son, Jesus, to hang on a cross, arms outstretched as an invitation to come and feast at your table. May we, O oh God, be a people that remember the gospel, remember how hospitable you've been towards us and exercise that and demonstrate that towards other people. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for your hospitality towards us without grumbling, without complaining. Graciously and kindly sent us your son, and he graciously and kindly came. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham. 